Hello. All right. Well, good morning again. Welcome. If you're new today, we loved having you. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Book of Romans chapter 11. We're going to be kind of at the end of Romans 11, the beginning of uh, Romans 12 today. <clears throat> Graduates, I, I want to tell you again, congratulations. As your home church, we, we honor you and we recognize you for, for all of your hard work today. Uh, no doubt you guys will hear multiple different speeches over the next few days and weeks as you graduate and move on to a new season of your lives. And if it's okay, I want to get to be one of those voices uh, this morning. Um, I want to talk just for a few minutes, really, about destiny and purpose this morning. Destiny and purpose. At Fullness, we believe that people have a destiny in the Lord, and we like to help people find and discover and walk out their destiny. And so here's my, my basic premise today is uh, destiny is connected to design. When you live in line with how you were designed, you live in your destiny. So destiny is discovered by understanding how God designed you. And Pastor Bart is, is fond of saying that the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discovered why. When you live out of the intent of your creator, you find your destiny and you fulfill your purpose. And so this morning, I'm going to give you three statements from this passage in Romans uh, on how you were designed by God. And you can do these things in just about any job field or occupation, but they're all a critical part of your design. And even though I'm specifically addressing our high school and our college graduates this morning, I believe fully these things apply to all of us, regardless of, of who we are. So first, let's, let's read Romans 11, starting in verse 33 and going down to, to 12, verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, so three statements on how you were designed from this passage in Romans. And remember, design is connected to destiny. So number one is this. You were designed to see God rightly. You were designed to see God rightly. Getting this from the end of Romans chapter 11, one of our, our core values in the fullness youth ministry here uh, that I say a lot to our, our young people is uh, I want them to have a big view of God, a big view of God, what I like to call big God theology. And this passage at the end of Romans 11, 33 to 36, this is a perfect example of what I mean when I say Big God theology. 
you know, today, careful emphasis really is put on making sure that our, our young people feel very valued and significant. And of course, there's a place for that. And that's really not new. That's been going on for decades where we want to make sure that they have good self-esteem. But if you look around at, at really the, the surveys that have been coming out more recently, um, by and large, it doesn't really seem to be working among our young people. Actually, uh, studies are coming out that are showing that our, among our younger generations, um, depression and, and suicidal thoughts is actually on the rise, and so is anxiety. Um, so I would, say, I would suggest to, to our young people today from this passage in Romans that the issue is not how big of a view you have of yourselves, but how big of a view you have of God. In fact, the more rightly you see God, the more rightly you see yourself. The God that Paul describes here in Romans 11 is so big that you can't fully understand his ways. He says that they are inscrutable and unsearchable. No doubt, graduates, high school and college, you guys have been seeking counsel for a while now. Um, Counsel of deciding where to go to college, what to major in, in college, what to do after college, and you're going to continue to seek counsel in the years to come. And those of us who are a little bit older, we continue to seek counsel in our lives. But the God that Paul is describing here in Romans 11 is so limitless in his knowledge and in his wisdom that he needs no counselor. And when you have a a view of God that is that big, you will be able to withstand when confusing or disappointing things come into your life. And they will, I can guarantee you that. There's never going to be something that happens to you or to somebody that you know and love where God is going to have to call an emergency meeting and say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, my top angel advisors, huddle up quick. Did you see what happened in the life of, of Jeremiah or Samantha or Ansley or Put your name in, in, the, in the list. Did you see what happened in their life? What in the name of me are we going to do? I did not see that coming. What should we do? No, that's not going to happen. No, the God who is wise enough to create and sustain the universe, to orchestrate history, to plan out the gospel, is wise enough to see you through any confusion or disappointment or tragedy that you will ever face. This is a good God to entrust your future to. You guys all probably know of the the recent scandal of of wealthy parents paying off universities so their children can attend. They paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to basically to get universities and people to do what they wanted them to do. And it actually worked for a while until the FBI exposed it. They were able to basically put these universities and these people in their debt, they were able to get them to do what they wanted them to do because they paid them enough money. But it's impossible to ever do that with God. No one can ever give him a gift that he might be repaid, Paul says here. Last month was, um, was my birthday, and uh, my two kids, ages three and one, got me a birthday present. Or actually, their mom got a birthday present. Um, it was a bag of some of my favorite candy, and uh, so it was, it was sweet, both literally and, and figuratively. 
Um, but guess how, they, guess how they bought it? Guess how they bought my birthday present? With my money. <laughs> With our money. Um, so it was great to get a present from my kids, and at the same time, I know that they used my resources to get it for me. I mean, how many can relate where you or your kids have used the parent's money to get the parent a present? That's how it is with God. You cannot ever offer him anything that does not already belong to him. You can never bribe or manipulate or buy off God. Why? Because Paul says, from him and through him and to him are all things. He owns it all. And a God who is big enough to not be bribed or paid off is a God who is big enough to trust with your life. The bigger your view of God as a young person, the more you're going to thrive in times of challenge and the more you're going to walk out the destiny and the purpose that he has for you. So graduates, I urge you to seek to view God rightly. Number two, you were designed to act in light of the gospel. You were designed to act in light of the gospel. Moving on, from this big view of God, Paul moves straight into a command for action. He says this in Romans 12.1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, in light of what he just said, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the mercies of God that Paul talks about there is he's speaking of the gospel, which he has just spent 11 chapters in Romans explaining in detail. He's saying this. He's saying this God who is so big that no one can counsel, that no one can pay off, this God loves sinners like us through the gospel. He loves sinners through the gospel of Jesus. The gospel demonstrates that this God who is so big is for you and not against you. And we are to act in light of this truth. That's his point. That he's making. And so here's just, there's a million ways this plays out in your life, but here's just one that this plays out in your life, specifically as as graduates. You guys have been immersed, really, in a world of trying to earn things for quite a while now. That's really the whole point of trying to get into college, right? Uh, you, You work very hard to make yourselves stand out in the crowd and to show that you deserve acceptance to a particular university or to get a scholarship more so than, to show that you deserve a scholarship more so than your peers do. And that's, that's good, it's something to be proud of, and we celebrate that with you today. But here's the truth. You're gonna have to keep working in the days ahead. You're gonna have to work to maintain those grades to keep the scholarship money coming. You're going to have to work to keep professors and peers liking you. You'll have to work to win and maintain the approval of your bosses, as many here can can attest. And that can be exhausting. I know that if you guys were, were honest, you would admit that it's a big burden of stress to carry this, this work of continually trying to earn and to impress. And I know that this is not just a young people thing that we all struggle with this pressure to to earn the approval of others, right? If we're honest, we all struggle with that. 
But the gospel says that the work of winning the approval of God has already been accomplished for you in Jesus. Jesus experienced already the ultimate rejection, rejection from God, in our place so that we don't have to. I love this quote from Jonathan Dotson. He's a pastor. He says this, The wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus frees us from trying to impress God or others because he has impressed God on our behalf. That's good. The gospel is rest. Gospel is rest. Don't misunderstand me. Gospel rest doesn't mean we don't work. And kind of that's also part of the point of this passage in Romans is we do work. But gospel rest means means we don't work for the approval of God. We work from the approval that we already enjoy in Jesus. So graduates, I urge you to act in light of the gospel in your lives. And third is this, you were designed to think ahead of your time. You were designed to think ahead of your time. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul says, going on in Romans 12 too, he says this, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, I know that probably most of your, your Bibles say world. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Um, but really, literally what it says there is age. That's really the word that, that is there. Do not be conformed to this age. In the minds of the biblical writers, including Paul writing here, there really were two ages, just two ages in, in history. There was this present age, and there was the age to come. And this, this present age is the world around us and the human race around us that is, is broken and wounded by sin. And we, we feel the brokenness. We sang about it today. It's actually funny. I didn't, I didn't tell Craig, ask Craig to do that song, but he, he did it, and it fits so perfectly with this. We feel the brokenness of the world and the human race around us, and we feel the wounds of sin inside us, the wounds from ways that we've sinned against others and the wounds from ways we've been sinned against But there's also an age to come. It's an age where Jesus reigns without challenge. It's an age where justice is reality and not just a longing. It's an age where image bearers will love other image bearers for who they are and not just as a means to get something. It's an age where we will be able to enjoy the glory of Jesus without competing gods vying for our affections. And the message of the New Testament is, with the coming of Jesus, this age to come has already broken in to our present age. And we actually get to see glimpses of it here and now. And you may be thinking, asking, well, okay, so where do we see glimpses of this great age to come? Well, really, the better question is is probably, where should we see glimpses of the age to come? And I believe that the message of the New Testament is we see glimpses of it in the church. It's in the church. It's in we who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's in we who know and follow Jesus. It's in 
you. That's where we see glimpses of the age to come. And Paul is really saying in this passage in Romans 12, when he says, don't be conformed to this present age, he's, this is kind of what he's saying. He's saying, don't live like the age in the time in which you live in. Don't think like that age that you're, you're living in. He's saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, think ahead of your time. Think according to the age to come that you're already a part of because of the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like, to think ahead of your time, to think according to the age to come? Well, it might look something like this. Think as if Jesus is the most glorious, impressive person in the universe and worth living for because he is. Think like justice for all without distinction is beautiful and worth fighting for because it is. Think like setting aside your physical bodies for the worship of the Lord is worth it because it is. You know, occasionally you guys will hear about in history of somebody who gets described as, well, they were ahead of their time. They were, they were ahead of their time. They were innovative in their thinking. Well, if you guys truly want to be innovative in your thinking, think like the age to come and not like this present age. We talk about another one of our core values in the Fullness Youth Ministry is impact my generation. And, but you guys will not impact your generation by conforming to the groupthink of your generation, but rather by having your mind shaped by the priorities of the kingdom of God, by the age to come, and by finding creative ways to bring those priorities of the kingdom of the age to come into your spheres of influence. I'm not just talking to the graduates, but to everyone. Bringing the priorities of the age to come, of the kingdom of God, into your workplaces, into your family circles, into your friend circles, onto your college campuses. Bringing the age to come into this present age. So graduates, I urge you to think ahead of your time. And by the way, in this, this is a, a rather well-known passage, Romans 12 one and two, uh, but I think often in this in this passage we uh, we miss the fact that Paul is talking not to an individual but to a community. He's talking to a group. He's talking to the church. Literally, he says, "I appeal to you, brothers and sisters." And you and I, we're so quick to individualize passages like this because we think like Westerners and not as a as a community. But really what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, these things that I'm telling you about how to view God, about how to act, about how to think, they're not meant to be done alone. They're meant to be done together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Because speaking at least for myself, I know that on my own, it's much harder to see God rightly. It's much harder to act in light of the gospel. It's much harder to think ahead of my time because I wasn't designed to and you weren't designed to do that by yourself. One of, another one of Pastor Bart's most common sayings around here is that Christianity is in its basic nature, what? Yes. Christianity is in its basic nature relational. It's all about relationship with God and relationship with each other. 
So graduates, I'm speaking now specifically to our high school graduates, if I could give you a little advice as you head off to college, find a community of believers who can help you do these things when you go off to college, who can help you see God rightly, who can help you act in light of the gospel, who can help you think ahead of your time. And specifically what I mean is, yes, find a a college ministry, but I would say even more so, find a local church full of believers who are not just your age, but who are various ages, because the body is made up of all ages, who can help you live according to how you were designed, and who can help you fulfill your destiny. And to the rest of us here, the question to ask of you and, and of myself is, are you truly in relationship with other people here at Fullness? Not just casually coming on Sunday mornings, but truly in relationship and allowing people here influence you towards Jesus, influencing you to view God rightly, to act in light of the gospel, to think ahead of your time. Part of our destiny in the Lord together is to do it together, to do these things with each other. One more illustration, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. <clears throat> On August 28, 2009, uh, a guy named Mark Saylor was uh, driving his family in a, in a rented Lexus when the car started accelerating out of control. And Mark Saylor was unable to slow it down. And uh, they eventually crashed, and everyone in the car died. The story started off a nationwide panic about Toyota vehicles, who's the maker of the the car that he was driving. And other people began reporting their Toyota vehicles having, doing similar things of of accelerating seemingly out of control and the drivers being unable to, to slow the car down. More recently, well, and also it it led to, to lawsuits even among Um, with Toyota, and it led to paranoia among drivers. But more recently, though, uh, a journalist by the name of Malcolm Gladwell, who writes for The New Yorker, uh, he's cast reasonable doubt upon this this theory that the Toyota cars were defective. And Gladwell has demonstrated that it's much more likely that the air was in the drivers and not in the cars. The, The accelerating typically happened in cars that the drivers were unfamiliar with, like oftentimes rental cars. And it was reasonable that in their confusion and in their panic, they would get the accelerator and the, and the uh, brake mixed up, mix up the gas and the accelerator. I've actually, I remember doing that once um, when I was learning to drive. Thankfully, there was no car in front of me, but I thought I was hitting the brake and I hit the accelerator and lurched forward. <clears throat> and uh, one, it was actually also discovered that uh, one TV news station actually doctored up a Toyota car to make it do what they were reporting that it did, to accelerate when it was supposed to brake. And so it kind of turns out that this panic was actually misplaced and that the situation was not as scary as what it first seemed. Well, in a similar way, I think, I, I work in, in youth ministry, I try to keep up with what's going on among young people here in, in America Um, and here at Fullness. And I think that sometimes there can be more paranoia and panic about the younger generations in America than might be warranted. Now, it is very true that stats have shown that in the younger generations, the 
those who are skeptical of God and doubt that God exists, that is higher in the younger generations than it is in the general population. So there is cause for concern. I, I know that. But here's kind of what I think is, is really going on. I think there's far less cultural Christianity happening among our younger generations today than there used to be in this, in this nation. You guys know what I mean when I say cultural Christianity. We still see glimpses of it here in the South, not as much so in the North and in the, on the coast, but kind of the idea that, yeah, I do the church thing on Sunday mornings, and I profess to be a Christian because it, it actually brings greater social acceptance. That's just not happening as much in the younger generations as what it used to. And so uh, those who say, the young people who say that they follow Jesus are being forced to decide if they, if they really do follow Jesus and if Jesus will define their lives. And what it also means, here's the encouraging part, the ones who are following Jesus are really following him. They're, they're plugged in. They're, they're trying to, to seek after him. So the, the reality is Christianity is not broken. Christianity is not defective in this new secular age, this kind of post-Christian age that we're in in our country. The reality is that Christianity still works. God is big enough to trust with your life. Jesus is impressive enough to act in light of his gospel. And the Holy Spirit is powerful enough in you, young people, to think ahead of your time. And I'm actually encouraged when I think about the future uh, of the church in America, in part because I think about some of our young people who are, who are sitting here today at fullness. You guys, passion for the Lord is, is inspiring, I would say. It inspires me, and I urge you to keep it up, to not give up, but to keep going. And for the rest of us, let's, let's encourage these young people as they take this big next step in life. Let's encourage them, and maybe we can also even learn something from them, because we're all in this together, right? We're all seeking to live for Jesus in this post-Christian, this, this secular age together. So fullness, together, let's live out our design and our destiny in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father God, I thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a big God. You are big enough to trust with our lives. I thank you, Father, that your gospel is the same today as it's always been and that we don't have to continue striving to try to continually earn things, but that, Jesus, we can rest and who you are and what you have done are on our behalf. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that because of who you are, that the bigness of God is not just a, an abstract, far-off thing, but that, God, you who are so big, you live actually on the inside of our bodies, and that you empower us to think ahead of our time, to not conform to the mold, the group think of the age around us, but to actually bring your kingdom into our midst. And I pray specifically for our young people again, God, that you would bless them today, that you would encourage them, that you would convict them and challenge them, and that you would remind them that you are with them, that you will never leave them nor forsake them. We pray this for the fame of Jesus. Amen.